Well, folks, it's really good to hear everyone catching up with everyone. It's going to be a, a lot of time afterwards to continue our conversations. What wonderful songs we had this morning. Um, I love that song, especially, uh, Rise, Your Shackles Are No More. Jesus Christ has conquered every sin. And th that has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about today. And I believe the Holy Spirit was guiding those who chose the songs for today. Before we get into our message today, there's going to be a video clip for, it's not just our younger people, but for everyone that outlines a little bit about the book of Mark. It's going to be in three stages, each Sunday for three Sundays. So we're going to have a look at three minutes of the outline of the book of Mark right now. Thank you. The Gospel According to Mark. It's one of the first accounts of the life of Jesus, and our earliest historical traditions link this book to a Christian scribe named Mark, or John Mark. He was a co-worker with Paul and a close partner with Peter. And in fact, an ancient church historian named Papias, he recalls that Mark had collected all of the eyewitness accounts and memories of Peter and then shaped them into this account. But Mark didn't just randomly throw the pieces together. He's carefully designed this story of Jesus. In the first line of the book, Mark makes this claim about Jesus. It's the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, what's interesting is that this is the only time Mark is going to tell you what he thinks. For the rest of the book, he's going to influence you by simply putting Jesus's actions and words in front of you and showing you how other people react to him. Now, Mark's designed the story of Jesus as a drama with three acts. The first one set in Galilee, the third one is set in Jerusalem, and the second act shows Jesus on the way from one place to the other. And each of the acts focuses on repeated theme. So in act one, everybody's blown away by Jesus and they're wondering, who is this Jesus? In act two, it's the disciples who are struggling to understand what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. And then in act three, we watch the surprising paradox of how Jesus becomes the messianic king. Let's just dive in and you'll see how it unfolds. After the opening line, Mark begins with a quotation from the ancient prophets Isaiah and Malachi, who said that God would send a messenger to Israel to prepare them for when God would show up himself to rescue his people and become their king. And Mark introduces John, the Baptist, as that messenger. And then right when you expect God to show up personally, Mark introduces Jesus. And as he comes onto the scene, the heavens open, God's spirit descends on Jesus, and God says, you are my beloved son. After this, Mark places in front of us a summary of Jesus' core message. He went about Galilee announcing the good news that God's kingdom has come near. Jesus is carrying forward the story from the Old Testament scriptures about God's rescue operation for his world. Through Jesus, God is restoring his reign over the world by confronting and defeating evil and its hold on people's lives, and then by inviting them to live under his reign by following Jesus. From here, Mark's given us a big block of stories showing us Jesus' power as he brings God's kingdom. He goes about healing people whose bodies are sick or broken or under the oppression of dark spiritual powers. And Jesus even does something that for Jewish people, only God has the right to do. He forgives people's sins. And Jesus' actions here produce lots of different responses. So some people follow him and become his disciples. Other people don't know what to think, and still others reject him completely, especially Israel's leaders who accuse him of blaspheming God and being empowered by evil. 
But Jesus isn't surprised by these responses. In fact, he draws attention to it. In chapter 4, Mark has collected many of Jesus' parables about the hidden, mysterious nature of God's kingdom. And Jesus says that his message is like seed falling on different types of soil. Some are receptive, some are not. Or it's like a mustard seed that's very tiny, it seems insignificant, but then it grows huge and surprises everyone. Jesus' point is that he really is the Messiah, bringing God's kingdom, but it doesn't look like what anybody expected. And this growing confusion about Jesus among the crowds is connected to a key idea Mark emphasizes at the end of Act 1, that even among Jesus' disciples there's confusion. Even they are struggling to grasp who Jesus really is, and that brings us to Act 2. Well, what do you think of that? Um, I, I reckon if you would like to um, continue on listening to lots of cartoons like that, you go to Read Scripture app. Look up in your app store, Read Scripture, and download that app, and you will have lots and lots of um, helps like that for yourself and for the kids. Thanks very much, guys. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that you will give each one here receptive hearts. We pray that everyone's attention will be drawn to the word of God, that they will be able to hear, that they'll have ears to hear, and be able to go away and put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read uh, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Um, wonderful, wonderful portion of Scripture. I'm really, really excited about this Scripture. There's so much in it. We could take way more than one week at it, but we're not going to do that. Um, you can go home and you can dig into it deeper. And the more you dig into it, the more you'll find there. So let's read verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him any anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep banks into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and in the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been demon-possessed by, by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told him about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. So the man went away 
and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done with, for him, and all the people were amazed. I'm really excited about this passage today. And it just screams out to me the power of Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, the infinite power over the powers of darkness. It gives me great delight to say this, that just with a few words from Jesus, he can hammer the evil one. You know, the capital E, capital O, evil one, the devil himself. And uh, no need for super weapons from Jesus, no need for special formulas, just his word, the creative, powerful word of Jesus Christ coming out against the evil one. This is exciting, and it's applicable to us today in the 21st century because we still have this enemy. Jesus uh, said when he um, taught the people how to pray, he said, deliver us from the evil one. Our translations sometimes say, deliver us from evil. But there is no evil apart from a personality that exudes evil. Evil doesn't exist apart from that. So uh, the, the word is the evil one. Let's have a look just quickly at the context of this uh, story today. It's still in the area of the lake. And this time it's on the other side of the lake in the Decapolis. Decapolis means 10 cities in Greek. And they were a little bit different from the rest of Israel because they had Greek and Roman culture, hence the pigs, you know. That's why they were tolerated over there. And um, it was very different from the people over on the West Bank who were more Jewish and wouldn't have tolerated such a thing. That region called the Decapolis is now in the country of Jordan, the modern country of Jordan. That's just a bit of context. Now, I want us to have a look at this whole thing called the demonic. Demonic. What has the demonic to do with the 21st century? As we go along, I believe we'll find out. Um, C.S. Lewis, who was uh, probably one of the greatest thinkers, Christian thinkers of the last century, said this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall regarding devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. The demons themselves are equally pleased by both errors. He wrote that in the Screwtape Letters in 1959. But nevertheless, I believe that there are some... Um, in our society, even Christians who have fallen into the error of the first category. They disbelieve, they, they, they totally disregard the notion of the demonic. Um, way back in 1976, it just shows you how early liberalism crept into some of the churches. In the Church of Scotland there uh, in 1976, the Synod urged its ministers to refrain from conducting a special ceremony of exorcism on the grounds that all so-called demonic possession was of mental and psychological nature. So the Church of Scotland, being um, just having succumbed to the whole notion of liberal theology, um, chucked out the whole idea of the demonic. Now, I believe that this is an error for two reasons. The first reason is because I believe the biblical account, that, which is full of demons. If you look at uh, the story of Mark, it's, it's one account of Jesus' confrontation with the demonic after another explicitly and also implicitly. And um, the second reason I believe that the, uh, the Church of Scotland is wrong in this is because I have seen with my own eyes manifestations of demons both in people and apart from people in my life. And I have seen the deliverance of demo people from demonic spirits and the subsequent transformation in their lives. And it's a beautiful thing to... Not beautiful to watch at the time, but the, the results are beautiful. And 
It was in the powerful name of Jesus. We just sang about it, didn't we? In the name of Jesus, every chain shall break. And uh, I don't know, what do you think of all this? What's your position on this? Don't all speak at once, but afterwards um, we can have some chats about this. As we look at this portion of Scripture, if we look at it carefully, we'll see that there's a sub-theme here of territory. Territory. And uh, ESV says that that's the English Standard Version. It says in verse 1, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So there were two, two kind of things happening here. There was a man, a human entity, and, there were, and he was stuffed full of non-human entities, stuffed full of them. And uh, he came running down to where Jesus was. And it almost reminds me of a dog running to the edge of its territory to defend it from intruders. When a dog does that, he looks really strong and brave and everything else, but I reckon there's fear inside it because very often if you just stamp their, your feet, they run back, don't they? There's, there, there's a, there was a mixture of... of motivations. I think there was terror in this man as he ran down to the edge of his territory to meet the invading, all-powerful Jesus Christ. And uh, often when we're out walking with our border caller, Collie Trudy, um, we, are, we go past the gate of some house and then out come all the dogs, you know. But they'll stop right there on the border of their territory and they won't come any farther. Have you ever noticed that? Well, you hope they stay there anyway. And uh, that's just seemingly what happened there. And uh, by the way, in this portion of Scripture, the word immediately appears again, maybe not in your version, but in, in the, in, in the uh, ESV and in the Greek, the word immediately comes. No sooner had Jesus set his foot in the territory of the demonized man than he came running towards Jesus. And uh, the demons when they were confronted and when they were being expelled, they said, don't send us out of the area. They didn't want to go out of their territory. And then uh, thirdly, um, Jesus commanded the former demonized man to stay in his territory. Have you, have you, did you notice that when we were reading it? But we don't have a lot of time to go into territory right now. It's just to raise the idea that demons and territory seem to be linked. I want us to look... Uh, for a brief moment, and to hold it in mind, take it home and think about it, the compassion of Jesus Christ for this demonized man. In particular, just have a look at the um, verse 19 where it says, Jesus did not let him but said to him, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. In many ways, this demonized man did not voluntarily come to Jesus. It was the, the demons that in some sort of a terrified manner, drew him down to Jesus. He did not ask Jesus to deliver him. He did not pray a prayer, a prayer of repentance. But Jesus had compassion on this human being who was so trapped in the demonic, and he delivered him there and then. Jesus had compassion on a demonized man. And we as believers should also have compassion on the demonized people. Now, I want to say here at the beginning, this man was a demon person, a demonized person on steroids, right? This is very rare. With, um, the word legion actually means uh, or can be a group of soldiers from 3,000 in number to 6,000 in number. So there could have been that many demons inside this man. I have never come across that. Um, I have come across people with um, possibly eight or nine demons in them, but never this many. So this was a worst case scenario that Jesus dealt with. So that should give us hope that he can deal with any other 
demonization in a person? Should it be one demon, two demons, multiple demons? So um, the compassion of Jesus for this demonized man was exemplary, and it should be also our reaction to those who are demonized. I want us to look quickly at seven characteristics of this demonized man, which may or may not be appropriate to all who are demonized. And the first one is um, that um, he, he uh, lived among the dead. The appeal of death. To those who are demonized, there's often a very obvious obsession with death. They talk about suicide. They talk about murder. He lived among the tombs, this man did. He lived among the dead. And um, this is even characteristic today of people who are demonized. They're attracted to death, murder, suicide, blackness, images of death, darkness. Frequently, it will be on their minds and in their conversation. And if they're arty, they will have, um, their drawings will be the subject of, of death. Tattoos, death, skulls, you know, that kind of thing. Um, movies, books songs, and dress will often betray that they are in some way or other demonized. And it makes me think that there's a, an increasing number of people in the world today who are to one degree or another uh, demonized. Then there's this with withdrawal from society. And that's closely associated, of course, with the appeal to death. But often demonized people cannot maintain their friendships. They, they they fight and argue with people, and they either by being pushed or by voluntary withdrawal, they leave normal society. And then a very striking one for this man, and it's not surprising because he had multiple thousands of demons in him. He had superhuman strength. And the scripture says, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, and he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And so even around the world today, I hear reports of demonized people with superhuman strength. And whether it's from Northern Ireland, where I came from, or from the remote jungles of Asia, I've heard of reports of people who could actually do what this man did, um, break chains and things like that. No one could bind him except the powerful name of Jesus. Um, one of my brother... Uh, my brother's brother-in-law was a policeman in Northern Ireland. And one day, um, they were called to a scene where a woman was manifesting greatly. And they could not hold her. A woman, a little woman. They couldn't hold her. And she was spitting out bile and everything out of her mouth. And she had a child. And they ended up calling for a minister. The police did. Because it was the only thing that could bring this woman down. Then, of course, there were demented cries. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out. And that's another characteristic of a demonized person. He was not in control of what he was doing or saying. And often demonized people will um, cry out in demented ways. And the demons will speak through the person. This is, I've seen this happening. A demon would speak through a person, and it's not the person speaking. It's another entity using the body of a demon. I don't know, where, I don't know if you think this is all weird, super weird and stuff like that, but I have seen this happening. And this is what is accounted in the Scripture. Nothing's changed, brothers and sisters. This happens today. Um, and you will note in this Scripture, there are two sections where it appears to be the man speaking in the first section, and then at the end, it really is the man speaking. The man's own will, the man's own spirit, the man's own lips. Uh, previously, he was hijacked by these entities. 
And a further uh, characteristic of a demonized person is self-harm. He cut himself with stones. One thing that's on the increase in our society today, like, like exponentially, is self-harm. Like when I was going to school, I never heard of such a thing. But today I'm hearing of it very, very commonly. And strangely enough, far more among girls than among boys. And uh, this is not just um, something I, I pulled out of a hat here. This is a st- the result of, the, of a study uh, written into the British Medical Journal where it says there, self-harm among teenage girls is up 68% in three years. That's, that's alarming. And I want to say here, I want to qualify that I do not necessarily believe that all self-harm is demonic, but it's, it's something seriously um, bad and is typical of people who are demonized. And then two more to go. Another one, nakedness. I remember when Andrea and I were in Manaus in the middle of the Amazon jungle. We stayed there for a few months uh, while we were missionaries in Brazil. There was a woman in our suburb who did not wear any clothes at all. She was totally naked and filthy from head to toe, hair all matted. And we would see her as we were going down to the shops and everything else, and everybody would kind of like take a wide berth around her. They were afraid of her. We believed that she was demonized. Uh, although we had, um, at that time, no interaction with her apart from seeing her. And today, in in the whole area of paganism and witchcraft, nakedness is a very uh, central part of their worship. They have naked rituals and things like that. So it's um, very, very indicative of um, demonization, heavy demonization. And then... uh, as I said already, the demons were speaking through this man. It's very clear from this text that it wasn't the man speaking, but the demons. And Jesus differentiates between those two episodes. In the first episode, the demons try to negotiate with Jesus. Verse 12, the demons beg Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. Of course, their negotiation was really a very temporary delaying tactic because it didn't end well for them. So um, I want us to note here also something that's not very clear if you're reading the NIV. Um, There is a connection here between unclean spirits and unclean animals. In the the Greek, it says um, unclean spirit, whereas the NIV will translate it evil spirits. And I think it is better that it be more literal because for a Jew, for the, the Israelites, pigs were unclean animals. So here we have an unclean entity ending up in unclean animals. And I just want to point out one point from this, because in this day and age, there is a total imbalance going in, in our society from the value in which animals are held to the value in which a human being is held. Even in this neighborhood here for many years, trees were more valuable than people. So What we have here is a balance because Jesus considered the lives of 2,000 pigs of more value than one human life. Did you see that? That is very, very important. And we need to bear that in mind, uh, brothers and sisters, and not to hold animals on an equal footing with human beings. And then if we go to the demonic again, he holds um, the life of one human being of much more value than the destiny of 6,000 demons. So that makes you precious. 
that makes you very, very special. That makes you a very high creation, and that gives you a very high responsibility to honor your creator and to love him. I want us to note here, we did note the superhuman strength of the man, didn't we? But I want us to note something even better, the greater strength of Jesus Christ. The demon-possessed man proclaimed Jesus Christ to be Jesus, son of the most high God. Someone pointed out to me this week that he didn't say Jesus Christ is son of the most high God, which would be a, a more fuller title. But look at Jesus' infinitely greater strength than an innumerable host of demons. Isn't it amazing? Like, this man broke chains. Jesus flung stars into space. So what? Chains. Like, what's that to Jesus? Nothing. He's the one who made every molecule, every atom of iron in the entire universe. He's the one who flung every star into space. Absolutely amazing, Jesus Christ is. You see, Jesus Christ is not facing off these demons on an equal footing. Even if Satan himself was there that day, Jesus Christ would not be facing him off on an equal footing. Satan is a mere creature, a mere minion, down there somewhere. Does anyone want to cheer? Thank you. Thank you very much. He is amazing. He's the creator God, the maker of all things, and Satan is a mere creature. And you know what is more, more fantastic? Jesus did this to Satan, uh, Satan's little emissaries, before he even went to the cross. Did Jesus ever not have power over the devil? No, he always had power over the devil. He did not need Calvary to beat the devil. Calvary was for our redemption. It now frees us up to have dominion over Satan as well, which is a, a wonderful, wonderful thing. So if you don't remember anything this morning from this sermon, remember that Jesus Christ's the Son of the Most High God has infinitely greater power than the devil. Take that with you. Bank that. And don't let him threaten you. I want you to look here at the compliance of the demon and the demons. Verse 9, Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Like, he just complied immediately. He didn't resist they, I shouldn't say he, they could not resist. When Jesus asked him a question, that was like an order. They had to answer. They complied. They complied by going into the pigs. They, they, they showed that they were subservient to Jesus by asking permission to go into the pigs. You know, they're just pathetic before Jesus because he's absolutely superior to them. Look at the compliance of the demon. The whole, there, there's two sub-themes in this uh, chapter or these verses that you might like to look at later on. There is begging and there's compliance. Begging and compliance. And here's the first begging. Let us go into the pigs. And then they complied. They went into the pigs. And Jesus actually complied with their demands too to let them go into the pigs. I want to ask you a question. Are you, do you ever think that there is something in your life that is deeper than just the normal? Do you think there's something binding you that may actually be in the realm of the demonic? Have you ever thought that Jesus cannot deliver you? This is a lie of the devil himself. He has to bow every time 
to the Lord of all creation. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus says, gives the reason why he came into the world. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to release the oppressed, those who are oppressed by demons, those who are oppressed by everything sinful. Jesus can deliver you if you think that you're um, demonized in any way. I just want to point out um, also that the King James and the NIV translation of demon-possessed is not exactly right. Um, it should, the Greek word is demonization, demonize. So um, this man would have been a case of demon possession thoroughly, but temporarily, praise God. But um, even Christians can be demonized, I believe. They can be influenced by demons, but not possessed by a demon. That's why it's very important, actually, to go back to the Greek. If there's anyone here who is thinking about going into pastoral ministry, and you're going to be preaching a lot, do a course of Greek because it really does help when you're coming to words like this. I want to look at a, a lovely phrase um, that often stood out to me regarding this um, portion of Scripture. And it's the, portion, it's the line, he was dressed and in his right mind. What a beautiful picture. The previous picture was this filthy, dirty, unkempt, crazy, insane man living among the tombs, and now we have a completely different picture. A man sitting there clothed or dressed and in his right mind. And this sums up for me what Christ does to all of us when we come to him. And in particular, if there is a, a case of demonization. The consequences of sin, when they reign in a person's life, spiritually speaking, they leave a person naked and insane. Because they cannot think straight regarding that which really matters. And that is um, our relationship with God the meaning of life, and eternity. When Jesus came along, he delivered this man, and he ended up sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And that is absolutely an amazing picture. I remember uh, probably 35 years ago seeing the Jesus movie of that time, and uh, the, the scene of the demoniac running down the hill towards the water where Jesus was. And you know what? I was only a child, and it scared me. And that's why I wouldn't like to show it this morning. <laughs> Probably scare the kids. The first scene was this um, crazy, crazy naked man with stones in his hand. And then the final scene of that uh, particular uh, act was him sitting there with clothes on, just talking with Jesus. What a wonderful, wonderful contrast. And when we come to Jesus, he clothes us, spiritually speaking, and he puts us in our right mind. Of course, we keep learning. It's a process of sanctification. Every day, every week, we're learning more and more. Peter talks about having these things in increasing measure in our lives. And I trust that we're all growing. Take a quick inventory of your life and, and your um, ability to, or not your ability to learn, but your learning in Christ, your knowledge of Christ, your spiritual gifts, uh, your fruit of the Spirit. Is it all growing and growing? This is evidence of being dressed and in your right mind. In verses 14 and 17, we have something of the cost of following Jesus. The cost of following Jesus. For the people who herded the pigs, they had a decision to make. 
And every single person in the world today has a decision to make. Will we follow Jesus or is the cost too high? You and I have to make that decision. And, and, and to be truthful, we have to make it every day. Are we going to follow Jesus today? Are we going to count the cost? For them, it was too much. They had just seen what Jesus had done for an uncontrollable major problem person in their lives. This person was a major problem. They tried to put chains on him several times. He just ripped them apart. He was totally uncontrollable. And there he was um, in his right mind, clothed. They may have liked that. But what they didn't like was the consequences of what Jesus did. Jesus destroyed their livelihood by the consequences of this healing. And they didn't want to accept Jesus because of that financial cost. So they run him out of town. They run him out of town. I want you to note here the compliance of Jesus. Jesus cast out the demons. The humans cast out Jesus. Can you see the connection? It is possible for us to cast out Jesus from our lives and our, our just everything about us, and he will comply. That is a shocking thing. I mean, none of us ever do that. May we always make sure we are close to him, that he is close to us, because he will comply. Isn't it, isn't it strange that um, these powerful demonic entities complied to Jesus and that the superior force of all the universe complied to these pig herders. Isn't that almost like contradictory or, or like inverse? But it's, that's the way it was. Jesus left. And as we draw to a close, I would like to point out the mission of the healed man. The mission of the healed man. Verse 18 says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. There's that begging. You see that? It's begging again. Jesus did not let him go, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So I want to ask a question. I wonder how long we should wait before we become missionaries. You ever ask that question? Should it be um, something like maybe... Uh, until we've had a theological education. How about that? That seems reasonable, doesn't it? We should not be missionaries until we've had a theological education. How many of you, if, uh, I, if, if we all stood up and I said, everybody without a theological education sit down, how many would that be? Probably the majority, wouldn't it? Does that disqualify you from being a missionary? Let me hear it. No, no, not at all. It doesn't. And um, what about um, waiting for five years before you become a missionary? Would that be a reasonable amount of time to wait? You know, just before, in case you make a mistake or something? No, 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 no. If we look at this passage, on the very day this man was saved and delivered, Jesus gave him a mission. Now, it wasn't to go out and start a, a theological seminary in East Timor. No, it wasn't. It was to go and tell your story. Wasn't that it? So how many in here have got a story of Jesus saving grace in their lives? 
And if Jesus, and he does, tell you to go and tell your story, that makes you a missionary. Your mission is tell your story, and as you do it, you're a missionary. Have you ever thought about that? You know, I was also thinking about the whole area of baptism. How long do you think you should wait before you get baptized? 10, 15 years? Should you have a theological education? What did the Bible do about, uh, what did the disciples do about baptism? It was generally pretty immediate, wasn't it? So if you're not ready for baptism, you're not ready to follow Jesus, full stop. Just drawing those little parallels there. What qualified this man to be a missionary? It was the fact that Jesus Christ had intervened in his life. Jesus Christ has intervened in our lives, hasn't he? Or has he? Has he intervened in your life? Have you got a story to tell? That qualifies you to be a missionary. And it's go home and tell your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. You know, my experience of uh, dealing with the demonic and reading about it and watching documentaries on it is that very often the family background has been horrendous. There's been abuse. There's been all kinds of stuff going on there, absolutely diabolical stuff. And he was told to go back home and tell that. Was that an easy thing or not? That wasn't easy. He may have faced great opposition. He may have faced his abusers. It'd be very strange if that man wasn't abused the way he ended up. And what was he told to do? He was told to go home and tell his story. Never underestimate the power of testimony. We love testimony. We had one today, Laurie. He could have said much, much more. If you've got a story, you've got a testimony. Sometimes in the gospel, Jesus said to people, don't tell anybody. Then other times he said, go and tell. And in this case, he said, go and tell. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. All the people were amazed. Isn't that amazing? That's a totally different reaction to the pig herders who said to Jesus, get out. The people in the Decapolis were amazed at what had happened here. You know, people will argue with your theological point of view, and they do. They will argue with that. But they're less likely to argue with your story because it's your story. And out of respect for you, most of the time, people will listen to your story. I want to encourage each one of us this week to go and tell your story to someone. Yesterday, I just heard of one of our members who was out at Super Cheap Auto. Sorry, I wasn't Repco. Sorry. Sorry, Dave. It was super, <laughs> super Cheap Auto. Anyway, he went in there, and um, he saw a, a man limping badly. And um, he went up to the man with compassion in his voice, and he said, Sir, what, what's, the, what's the matter? You look to be in pain. And the man said, I had a bad hip injury. And our brother said, Can I pray with you? And uh, he said, yeah, sure. And our brother prayed with him. And he said, do you feel anything different? No, don't really. Well, he said, try it out. Go for a walk. So he went for a walk. And as he went, he was healed. And the, and the 
expression on his face, I was told, was just amazing. He turned around and he grabbed the lady there and he said, I've been healed, I've been healed of my injury. And then, then his mate said, hey, give me some of that stuff. What, <laughs> what's wrong with you, said my, uh, our brother. And he said, I've got a sore knee. Well, he said, let's pray, let's pray. So he prayed for his knee as well in Jesus' name. And the man's knee was healed as well. Our, uh, it's amazing. Yes, that's one of our members of this church. It's not Jesus like uh, in person. It's Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit using one of our members. And then testimony, right? So our, our brother had just received his blood brother at the airport, brought him into super cheap auto and asked the one who'd been healed, tell my brother what's just happened. <laughs> and uh, this recently healed man told him what had happened and it blew him away. Never underestimate the power of a testimony. You got a story, don't hide it. That's what we were saying a few weeks ago. This is a wonderful account of the power of Jesus Christ over all things, including demons. And we as a church believe in the deliverance ministry. We have seen it happening. We practice it here. And if you know uh, of anyone who is, in your opinion or in their opinion, oppressed or demonized, you may Speak with us. Speak with me. Speak with Liz, who has been in the uh, deliverance ministry for many years. And uh, we have other connections as well. Don't let the devil have the victory over your life. I must also say that we cannot blame everything on demons. Cannot do that. We must not do that. We are responsible entities for everything we do. Repentance is required. Teaching and receiving the word of God is required. For deliverance. The kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom is essential to be believed and practiced in all of this. And um, we're going to come now into a time of communion. And we're going to come and remember the one who had the power over Satan, who still has the power over Satan. But before we do that, we're going to hand out little pieces of paper um, upon which you may write down anything that the Lord speaks to you during communion. Thinking particularly of the children, uh, everyone is welcome to grab a piece of paper. And um, if there's anything that you need dealt with, write it down. Keep it to yourself. Don't um, pin it to the wall at the back or anything like that, or make it public. Just something to help you, a faith aid, as we deal with um, the things that the Lord brings to mind. Communion is a wonderful time, a wonderful focal point in our Christian lives where we can come and we can contemplate our Savior, what He's done for us, contemplate His character, His power, His death. We can ask Him to bring to our minds the sins that we have committed, the things that we have not yet repented of, and we can rededicate our lives afresh to him on this first Sunday of July 2018. What a wonderful opportunity that we have to do that in the presence of the all-powerful Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God. Amen. So as we come to the Lord's table, the one who has the strength to defeat a legion of demons Let's think about 
the tremendous mercy that he showed towards this man. This man did not make the first move in terms of wanting deliverance. Jesus reached out to him. And the truth is the same for us. We were dead in trespasses and sins, and so therefore we could not reach out to him until he made us alive, until he drew us to himself. And um, let's just have a time of meditation, thinking about these things, and ask the Lord to reveal to us what he wants us to hear this morning regarding our personal lives. Take just a few moments of silence. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your deliverance of us from the power of sin. We thank you that you break every chain. There is no chain, whether it's the chains of the flesh or the chains of sin or the chains of the demonic, the world, the flesh, or the devil, that you cannot break. And we thank you that as we go on in our lives, you're breaking more and more chains. You're sanctifying us. And Lord, what we're doing this morning is an act of deliberate and placing ourselves in the place of sanctification, placing ourselves in the place of repentance, placing ourselves in the place of rededication to the Lord Jesus Christ. We were just as condemned as this man, and we thank you that you reached into our lives and saved us. We thank you for the processes of transformation that are ongoing in our lives. For those of us, Lord, who cannot recognize any of those processes, we pray right now that you will bring them to the place where they trust you completely with their lives, hand over everything to you, and come into your will. Luke twenty-two nineteen says, And he took bread, and gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Amen. The um, ushers are just going to stand in six locations around the church. And um, when you're ready, come and take the bread and the wine. And don't feel rushed or pressurized. If you're not ready, just stay. The Lord understands. And after a period of time, we'll draw to a close by taking the cup together in unison. In closing today, I would like us to um, make a, a little different declaration. And it is... Um, see where it says um, we declare that Jesus Christ is the son of the most high God can we, can we do that 
We declare that Jesus Christ is the Son of the Most High God. 